it is important to start positioning Central America as a block. We have been in this process of economic integration for more than 50 years, and while there are still many outstanding challenges left, much has been achieved. And that is what uh, Secretary General Vergara and myself are very interested in showcasing. What we, have what we have achieved, what the lessons learned are, and how we can be an example for other regions across the world that don't necessarily see themselves reflected in a process of economic integration that is as deep as, the, as is the one with the European Union. So um, basically, the structure of CIECA, uh, well, the, the, the international agreement that establishes CIECA says that we are the technical um, and administrative body of the process of economic integration. The, pro the, the body that dictates what will be done on, in terms of uh, economic integration is the Council of Ministers of Economic Integration. This is a joint meeting of the six ministers of trade or economic integration from the countries from Guatemala down to Panama. All our decisions are consensus-based and once they are adopted by a, be it a declaration or being a resolution, they become domestic law. That is one of the key aspects of why the process of economic integration works much faster than the other subsystems of, economic, of integration that exist within Central America. It's that ability of transforming a decision into law immediately what gives us the capacity to act quickly and to respond to the needs that the region may have. So um, I would like to first highlight uh, something that while we are working for economic integration, that is not the purpose for the, or the reason why the Secretariat exists. The Secretariat exists fundamentally for Central Americans. We're 45 million of inhabitants within Central America and we see the process of economic integration as a means to actually help transform the lives of these Central Americans and provide them with all the opportunities that they might need to help transform their lives. There are several examples across the world of countries that have had the right policies and how they have been able to transform them, uh, themselves within a generation. The first of all, the, the first example that comes to mind with people is usually South Korea. South Korea was extremely successful in transforming its economy within a generation. It grew for a very long time at a growth rate of 7% and now has a, a, an average income per capita of around $23,000. But again, we need to stop looking outside to look for success stories, at least from us that are in the, in the developing world. So let's look closer to Central America. Panama was successfully transformed within a generation. Yes, there are many things that can be taken into consideration about how Panama was so successful. For example, Panama has only 3 million inhabitants. So changing the lives of 3 million people is much easier than changing the lives of, I don't know, 10, 12 million people, which is the case of Guatemala. However, Panama had a very, very interesting strategy and an approach that can teach 
the developing world and all the other countries within Central America many valuable uh, lessons. Well, just as uh, South Korea experienced uh, a growth rate of 7%, Panama in the last 15 years has had an average growth rate of 8%. That is extraordinary, and it was maintained even during the 2008 financial crisis. It currently has a GDP um, um, uh, per capita of $11,000, and many people think or have this reductionist view that Panama's change can be pinpointed to the Panama Canal. Yes, that is important to the change that Panama experienced, but that is not what defined the change that Panama had. What was interesting about the, uh, the Panama Canal was the amount of resources that this produced. Once the canal was returned to the uh, Republic of Panama, there were all these resources coming in and the government decided to start investing wisely. Why was it investing wisely? Because it started investing in human capital. But human capital was not just invested on, um, on a point of view of educating people just for the sake of educating people. There was a plan. There was a plan that had a vision of what Panama would become, what type of industries Panama wanted to bring down to its territory, and how it would provide the necessary, um, the necessary infrastructure and uh, human resources that, that was needed. For example, um, I don't know if many of you know about this, but Quantum of Solace, the James Bond movie, was filmed completely in Panama. That was the first successful movie that was filmed in Panama after the adoption of the, what they call the Ley de Cine, the movie uh, legislation. But what was interesting about this was that there was a complete alignment of all governmental institutions that they were working towards supporting this initiative. Though this was not an isolated initiative, there were several other initiatives. There was a complete coordination led by the president at the time and his ministers that actually helped get everything on board from simple things like getting uh, immigration officials on the plane when, while they were traveling from Los Angeles so that as soon as they landed in Panama, they didn't have to go through immigration or customs procedures because they had already been stamped on the plane. Panama had a huge deficit of hotel rooms. They needed, I think, something like 11,000 hotel rooms for the filming of Quantum of Solace. So what did they do? They brought cruise ships and parked them on the bay. And then they were using these cruise ships as hotel rooms because they couldn't have, they did not have the ability to, of actually building these hotels in such a short time. But the, um, the Ley de Cine has something very, very interesting. It, it opened up all the services sector for um, light technicians, uh, I don't know, like the, the, the extremely highly skill, skilled aspects of the movie industry. Yet they reserved for Panamanians exclusively what would be unskilled labor within the movie, uh, the, the movie production industry. For example, <coughs> hairstylists, uh, electricians, carpenters, and all these needed to be certified to, uh, in this case, Hollywood standards. So there was a very important transfer of knowledge that happened with this first movie. And this had a very important trickle-down effect that helped transform and develop parallel industries that are now working not only supporting the movie industry, but several others. 
uh, again, the experience that Panama has on logistics is very, very important because they have been able to align themselves and have this uh, fundamental view of what, uh, what they're pursuing. But let me uh, start speaking in terms of the region. At the Secretariat for Economic Integration of Central America, we do not see six countries. We see one territory. We see the opportunities that derive from having an integrated territory. We see the benefits of, ha of gaining access to a market of 45 million people vis-a-vis -vis the access of three million people, six million people, seven million people. So these are the things that we're trying to promote and we're trying to showcase. And this is one of the events that we're actually uh, doing in order to promote Central America as a region. Central America can also experience its own transformation through trade, which is one of the main objectives that we have at the Secretariat. The region has um, taken part in several improvements along these lines. Democracy, while still somewhat fragile within the region, it is consolidated now. We do not have the same problems that we had during the 1970s and the 1980s, the periods that some uh, international organizations refer to as the, the lost decade of Central America. Everything, now the, the uh, government institutions are quite strong and they are stable. And while much can be done in order to improve these, this legal certainty has started to have effects that we can now as Central Americans be proud of. Just for example, last year, while foreign direct investment within the Americas fell 16%, within Central America, it fell 1.5%. That is very, a very, very big contrast. And how, do we, how are we able to explain this? And what we have come up with within the Secretariat is that the internal market supports these patterns of foreign direct investment they make the region as something that, is, that does not rely entirely on commodities or, or on international trade with its usual partners. The combination of the countries of Central America have made it a robust region that allows it to, to keep positive uh, rates of growth even when its main partners are decreasing, uh, are, are, are slowing down, sorry. And something that's also very important, because usually one, when we talk about Central America, we usually say, oh yeah, but you know, the US is its biggest trading partner, and then you have other key trading partners like the European Union and several others that are growing. But if you look in detail, the, the biggest trading partner of the region is the United States. That's undoubtedly. But 33% of Central American exports go to the United States. 32% of Central American exports go within Central America. So Central America is itself its second biggest trading partner. And what is interesting about this, what we export to the big markets like the US, the European Union, uh, some emerging markets in Asia, are usually commodities. What do we trade with this within Central America? Industrial goods. So there's a higher value added for every dollar that's exported within Central America that stays within Central America when you, uh, when you compare it to what's being exported to the United States. Although this, like everything in life, has two different uh, points of views. First of all, the, the reason why 
we do not engage in, com uh, in, in tra regional trade in commodities or fresh produce, for example, is that there is uncertainty on how fast the goods will move from one country to the next. Simply, a producer of lettuce from Guatemala cannot afford having a truck load full of lettuce parked under the tropical sun for six hours, and maybe more, and it might just rain that time. So these are things that we're actually working on in order to see how we can foster these other aspects of trade, not only rely on the industrial aspect, which is very good and it's something that we're extremely proud of, but we can also look into diversifying the exports that are happening within the region. Um, trade has allowed us to have a positive growth in the past uh, few um, years. For example, uh, we have the success story of Costa Rica and how it engaged with trade in microchips. That is something that is just extremely interesting, how it was that the government of Costa Rica was able to attract this, this type of investment, secure it, and then bank on it. This is something that the rest of countries from Central America can learn on. Once a particular set of skills was acquired, they started migrating to related industries that required the same type of skills so that they could keep investing on people that, that were trained to do certain things with electronics, but then they moved into medical equipment. And now they're very, very strong with medical equipment. But despite all these things that I have mentioned that could paint a rosy picture, there are many challenges uh, with still outstanding within Central America. Poverty reduction is one of them, and the needs to create humane conditions for development is another one. And this, uh, the phenomenon of poverty, was recently highlighted in an event that I am sure most of you became familiar with. Migration showcases a very, very big problem, especially in what we refer to as the Northern Triangle of Central America. That is Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. Um, a few years ago, there was a sudden surge of uh, child migrants going to the United States. And while the United States did some efforts to actually try and mitigate this, all of their measures were short-sighted and were trying to fix the symptom, but not really the problem. They were actually trying to prevent people from actually going into the US rather than trying to work with the countries that were having this uh, huge immigration into the US to see how it could be targeted and see what policies or what was triggering this effect. These, um, uh, these, these measures that included things like El Plan Frontera Segura, if I'm not mistaken, ended in some catastrophic things where toddlers were representing themselves in immigration courts in the US. Children that were not able to actually speak or really know what was going on for the lack of a lawyer, the, immigration, the, the United States immigration system allowed them to represent themselves in an immigration court. And then, of course, what would happen? I mean, you can basically ask a toddler, um, how are you? And he will smile, or they will ask him, do you want to stay here? And he will smile. So 
it was just terrifying, but it placed a very big magnifying glass on this problem that we had gotten used to it within Central America. But these measures, these short-term measures, were placed in force, but Central Americans adapt very quickly to any type of challenge that we might be facing. And then they were successful to overcome them. Migration is a problem that clearly needs a regional approach. We cannot do it on our own as an individual country. We need to work jointly because there are countless uh, points within the country's borders where children might cross. And just by trying to, ex uh, just by trying to avoid these, uh, the traditional border posts, they are exposing themselves to unnecessary danger. There's a complete lack of information that doesn't reach these, uh, these um, areas of society within Central America. And so Central America needs to start thinking in the long term to, uh, to make sure that the people, its people, have enough opportunities to actually stay behind. And this is where SIECA is actually contributing to this vision. Industrialization is something that has been much debated, debated about, and it has been mentioned several times. Uh, one might remember that in, during the 1980s, there was this whole import substitution strategy going on. And while that contributed to a certain extent in, um, in, the, in the infant industrialization of Central America, the protection of markets derived in other sorts of problems and nuisances, nuisances that were actually overcome once the economic model was changed and the markets were somewhat open. Central America has a very big number of Central Americans and that's something that's very good and something that we can actually um, exploit to our benefit. So, one of the things that we're working on is to promote labor-intensive industries, such as manufacturing, specialized uh, or technical agriculture, and tourism. We do not want to depend solely on the advantage that low wages give us. In fact, we can no longer rely on that. Right now that the, super, that the mega regional trade agreements are coming up, these regions are now getting, some of these countries are now getting access to our prime market, which is the United States, and we cannot compete on a salary level with these people. So we need to be able to offer something different. We need to have something that will be attractive to foreign investors and something that will be able to differentiate us from the rest of the countries. We need to strengthen regional infrastructure and reduce energy costs. This is something that is making Central America much less competitive, but I will get into further detail um, further in my presentation. And promote a large enough domestic market that will support trade and allow enterprises to develop economies of scale. Most companies in Central America cannot take advantage of economies of scale. It's just not feasible to do this. But given how integrated the market is, we're finding that a big factory relocates to one of our countries and then given the free trade that exists within the region, we're able to start to take advantage of these, um, of these economies of scale. 
So as I've mentioned, trade is something that we're actively working on and there are many outstanding challenges. Right now with the current conditions, something very, very interesting has happened within Central America. We have been seeing the emergence of regional value chains in countries that are close to each other. I will just focus on two because of, well, in sakes of time, but in the Northern Triangle of Central America, that is Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, the textile industry has grown from simple cut and sew into what is called the whole package. Right now, these three countries are designing, they are transforming um, pet pellets into fabric, they are cutting it, sewing it, and exporting it to the US. And what these countries have specialized in is in, in uh, sports apparel, the moisture wicking fabrics, and that's what Central America has a competitive advantage on because we're close to the United States, because we have the skills, so we can react quickly, whereas a factory in Bangladesh is not quick enough to uh, accommodate the needs that, um, that the market demands on. Also in the, southern tri uh, in the southern corridor of Central America, that is between Nicaragua, uh, Costa Rica, and Panama, dairy and beef uh, value chains have started to emerge and this is something that we want to foster on that we want to foster and something that we want uh, the countries to take into consideration when they are uh, developing their public policies but as you can see with even an integrated region has separated itself into two different blocks and this is a problem that infrastructure might solve but before I go uh, further, I want you to go back to your high school um, history lessons. And if I am not mistaken, those were the ships that Christopher Columbus arrived on when he discovered the Americas. The caravels were fantastic because they were light ships that could basically uh, ship at 15 kilometers per hour from Porto, uh, Puerto de Palos down to the Dominican Republic. So bear in mind this, 15 kilometers per hour. Now, a lorry with goods moving from Panama to Guatemala moves at 16 kilometers per hour. So in, what, 500 years, we were able to gain one kilometer per hour if we compare it to what Christopher Columbus had. Also, uh, it takes um, 14 days to import something to Central America and 13 days to export something from Central America. This inevitably rises the price of goods up to 12%. So if we were able to overcome this, we would be subsidizing, so to speak, all of our exports by 12%. And this is an opportunity that the Council of Ministers of Economic Integration and SIECA, we are just not going to let pass. So this is something that we are working on. Uh, for example, we have started work, uh, we administer at the Secretariat several digital tools that link all the relevant national authorities in each country to facilitate trade in the region. We're relying a lot on uh, technology. 
One of these systems, called the FAUCA, or the Central American Single Customs Forum, certifies the origin of the products that are being traded within, um, within, the, within the region. I am sorry, do you, are you familiar with what origin, the origin of a product is? It's basically its passport. It says where it was made. So right now, the free trade area that exists within Central America only applies to originating goods under the international agreements that uh, Central America has. These cover, this covers 96% of all goods within Central America. And there's a handful of other goods that are in exclusions because they are highly sensitive industries. But also, um, another, another uh, platform that we use is the International Transit of Goods. So basically, uh, if uh, goods enter into Guatemala and they're destined to Nicaragua, once this, uh, the team, which we call it, or Transporte Internacional de Mercancías in Spanish, uh, it is sent to all the relevant authorities of all the border posts that the goods will go through. So basically, they receive it in less than 10 seconds, and once the lorry arrives with the cargo, they basically just check it, make sure that the, uh, that the chauffeur is who was declared, and that the goods are there, and then it just goes into transit. This has sped up our transit times within the region a lot, but there is still much to be done. In light of that, in October of 2015, the Council of Ministers in a joint of uh, economic integration, in a joint session with the Council of Ministers of Finance and the Council of Ministers of um, Transport and Logistics adopted the Central American Trade Facilitation Strategy. This was a mandate from the Presidential Summit of June of 2014 that we were pushing from the Secretariat very aggressively in light of the Trade Facilitation Agreement of the, w, uh, of the World Trade Organization. We thought that this would be a fantastic opportunity for countries to bank on early harvests. The Central American uh, Trade Facilitation Strategy focuses on uh, coordinated uh, border management, which is a concept from the World Customs Organization. And um, while this is a long, th this strategy has a long-term vision, and this strategy fits perfectly well with the international agreements that's, uh, that rule the process of economic integration, it has certain political connotations that were needed certain political concessions, sorry, that were needed in order to secure the political support of it. We both had the private sector and we had the public sector on board actively working for this and actively pushing for this. And these concessions were five short-term measures that would yield early harvests as quickly as a year so that governments could actually tell their constituents, listen, this is a strategy that we approved, this is what we're already working on. And these five short-term measures, which are actually being implemented by SIECA, include the uh, anticipated declaration of goods, streamlining uh, the coordination of immigration controls, electronic phyto and soil sanitary certificates, uh, radio frequency ID um, on every single post, and the use of camera systems in border crossings. As I just mentioned, the role of the private sector was extremely important for this. 
we were in constant dialogue with them, telling them, what are your problems? What is it that can be overcome? And in light of that and of the trade facilitation agreement of the WTO and the regional integration uh, instruments, we came up with this strategy. Also something that was very, very interesting that derived of this strategy was donor coordination. This was an exercise that we had never done before, but once we started mapping out what, how much it would cost to actually implement this strategy, we saw that the countries did not have enough money. So we basically set up a round table of donors and mapped out all the activities that needed financial support, be it the World Bank, be it the Inter-American Development Bank, be it the United Nations or any other entity that's present within Central America. And we started mapping out what they had covered in their yearly, um, yearly or pluriannual uh, plans. And then we were able to identify what was covered and what needed to be covered. But this strategy, we hope, will reduce processing times for, for cargo between 80 and 85%. It will be reduced by that. And processing of people will be reduced by about 25% of that. So this will have a cost reduction of importing, exporting, and finally, the price of consumer goods that Central Americans are actually pay. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Central America is its own second biggest trading partner. I apologize in advance because it's actually kind of hard to, to see what it, <laughs> what the graph is saying. No, no, but it actually, the, the chart is, is clear enough. So um, as I mentioned earlier, Central America is itself its second biggest trading partner. During the global economic and financial crisis, while all of the Americas were slowing down and were uh, having negative rates of growth, Central America was still able to have a positive, though slower rate of growth than we had experienced before. And this was uh, because of the strength that the internal domestic market had for Central America. Central Americans kept consuming the goods that they were producing. So these hel this helped like a buffer to absorb the shock of uh, international trade. Also something that cannot be left out of the picture is that Central America does not rely on the export of oil. So despite the uh, sharp decrease in the price of oil, the exports of Central America, the prices remained the same. Right now, we're facing a different challenge, and that is the appreciation of the US dollar. That is actually slowing down our trade with the rest of the world. But that is something that we will actually um, get into a little, a little further down the presentation. Um, uh, during the financial crisis, regional exports as a block like Central America to the rest of the world the exports fell by 1%, by 11%, sorry, but domestic exports were still growing at a rate of 1.5%. Again, we're going back to Panama because Panama was very, very interesting by banking on the service industry. Many of the Central American countries has, have this view that we should export something, that we need to actually see lorries moving 
in the border posts to actually see wealth being generated, factories with hundreds and thousands of people producing something because that is the conception that this is wealth that's being created. But then in the southern part of Central America, we have a member state that focused exclusively on developing its service industry. Also, we need to take into consideration that we need to expand and we need to stop looking at Central America just like our savior. We need to look what the complementarities we have with Colombia and with Mexico, two of the biggest markets within uh, Latin America. We also have to look at what China is doing and how we can, we can actually start taking part in the global value chains that China is actually exporting. With regards of uh, working with Colombia and Mexico, we're already doing that within the framework of the Mesoamerican project, El Proyecto Mesoamerica. And one of the first projects that we are launching with uh, the Proyecto Mesoamerica and CIECA is the, the adoption of the Central American Trade Facilitation Strategy. Few tweaks will need to be done, but Colombia and Mexico and the Dominican Republic have already expressed their interest in having a similar program. And the trade facilitation strategy sets the bare minimums. So if the countries decide to go beyond these commitments, then that's perfectly okay. But if all this region, Mesoamerica, is actually aligned, this will allow trade within uh, the Americas to move extremely fast, extremely, extremely fast. Um, also something that we want to start working on, as I mentioned earlier, is services. But we do not want to do the usual call center because basically that is a maquila model that's basically working in services. Right now we're banking on creative industries. We believe that tapping into our human resources and the creativity of Central Americans will give us an extra opportunity to engage further in international trade and increase the capacity of, of Central Americans. For example, right now in SIECA, we are uh, supporting this initiative by a movie producer, a Central American movie producer, uh, who was nominated for an Academy Award, and he actually makes all the special effects for all the Fast and Furious movies and the Narnias and all these things. And he makes these special effects within Central America specifically for the one that he was nominated for the Academy Award, which was the Chronicles of Narnia, one of the installments. It was made in Antigua, Guatemala, with youngsters that were high school dropouts and uh, people that used to be gang members, and they decided to change their lives. So within six months of training, they were already uh, making a salary that's between four or five times the minimum wage and actively producing something that could help their families and themselves to escape poverty. And while the project ended, when the movie ended, other things were happening. These, these youngsters each started having their own special effects or digital production uh, workshops. And at the Secretariat, we have actually hired them now. And they have themselves become teachers, so they're actually expanding these 
skills that they have acquired. And basically all you need is a computer, internet access, and somebody that can actually use a computer. But let's face it, nowadays, most people within that age group are somewhat familiarized with, with, these, um, with, the, uh, with these technology. Something else that has reached um, the media, because we've been monitoring it, is the establishment of the customs union between Guatemala and Honduras. Um, for those of you that are actually familiar with uh, the process of economic integration in Central America, let me make this clear. There is one Central American customs union, and there will only be one. What these two countries have actually decided is to move faster in the level of integration that they have acquired. I mentioned earlier that uh, the free trade zone that exists within Central America applies only to originating goods within Central America. In the customs territory that, will, that has been created uh, within uh, Guatemala and Honduras, all goods now move uh, freely. But this required a lot of work. It required seven negotiating rounds that uh, we sponsored. And again, intragovernmental coordination. We needed to align finance and prove to them that internal revenue would not decrease because of the customs union. And once we have actually proved by economic models and by forecasts, we were able to sit them on the table and tell them, okay, how can we work jointly, the Guatemalan agency and the Honduran agency, so that we can have a single mechanism that will ensure that both Honduras and Guatemala gets what, get what it's due. So now within the customs territory, there are no imports or exports. There are acquisitions and transfers of, of goods. So for example, if I buy 100 bicycles in Honduras, and, I, and by the time they're actually making uh, the bill, I will tell them, no, uh, these have to be uh, exempt of VAT because they will be exported to Guatemala. So they will give me a different form, which is the FIDUCA, the Formulario y Documento Único Centroamericano, the bill and single Central American Customs Declaration, I guess, loosely. And uh, basically that will have a code, a QR code. And from the moment that that document is made, that very same second, internal revenue from Guatemala knows that Mr. Javier Gutierrez will owe them the VAT for 100 bicycles that will enter the territory on this day through this border post. And Mr. Gutierrez has 24 hours to pay for these goods. So this coordination, this sharing of information has allowed us to successfully get people on board with the project. So um, uh, the, the establishment of the customs union required an enabling protocol to be adopted by Congress of both countries. And it was adopted in Honduras in December of 2015 and by Guatemala in January 2016. Then it was uh, deposited in May, 20, in May 4th, and it went into effect in, it entered into force, sorry, on May 13th of this year. 
Right now we are under the implementation period and by December we expect to have a fully functioning uh, single customs territory within uh, both countries. Why is the customs union between Guatemala and Honduras important? Because it represents 52% of the Central American territory and 59% of the population of Central America. And these two countries account for almost 40% of the intra-regional trade. So this is one of the biggest trading blocks that can happen within the region. Also a potential benefit is that the average speed for goods moving within the single customs territory will increase from 16 kilometers per hour to 30 kilometers per hour. This is also very, very important. There will be an improvement and expansion of the customs infrastructure, but to facilitate trade. It will no longer be seen as um, border posts will no longer be these defense uh, security posts that they were before, which in Central America, it's very amusing if any of you have ever had a chance of driving within Central America, you see that they're in the middle of valleys covered by hills because they were there to prevent in any foreign invasion. And of course, to prevent invasion, you needed to make it hard for the country that was going to invade you but it also applies for goods. I mean, it's just very, very hard to actually get to those places. So now we're readapting them to make sure that they are of easy access and that uh, goods can move quickly. We will uh, also start uh, the promotion of strategic economic en engines within the region. We want to attract investment and there are countries uh, that have already signaled their interest of being part of this effort, and those are Nicaragua and uh, El Salvador. Actually, in El Salvador, uh, El Salvador started formal negotiations last week about uh, seeing how they, they could actually join into this. I have mentioned that we no longer want to export only commodities or rely on the advantages that low wages give us. So we're actually working to, we're striving uh, to achieve smart growth. We want to take into consideration the region's limitations and advantages, but we want to ensure sustainability and inclusion. These are two things that are, that are transversal in every policy that uh, derives from SIECA. There needs to be an aspect of sustainability and something that ensures that uh, indigenous communities, women, and Afro-descendants are always a component that will benefit from them. A key opportunity for the region is while we cannot, we're not in a position right now to get entire global value chains uh, made within the region, we can actually start taking segments of these global value chains. And what we need to, to do is basically have this approach of securing a tiny segment and then building up on it, but not building up on it on a national level, building up on a regional level. For this, we need constant dialogue between the private sector and uh, the Council of Ministers of Economic Integration. And this happens, they meet at least three times every six months. Hmm. Furthermore, uh, uh, yeah, the insertion into global value chains. 
Uh, I mentioned before the global value chains that have uh, emerged within the Northern Triangle and the Southern Triangle. But what we're seeing right now, because we're mapping them with ECLAC, uh, the Economic Commission for Latin America, is that SMEs are not engaging themselves in these portions of global value chains. So how can we actually create the conditions that will allow them to successfully engage in international trade? So we are currently working with uh, the Spanish cooperation to uh, create a program that will allow SMEs to uh, uh, take advantage of all the free trade agreements that the region has enforced. And with this, we're killing two birds with one stone because as a surprise to no one, SMEs are mainly led by women. So we're in Central America. So we're basically ensuring that women successfully engage in international trade by engaging in global value chains. Also, we believe that given the nature of Central America and its cultural uh, and shared cultural background, we believe that SMEs can use the Central American market as an experiment to engage in international trade. They are not engaging in, inter in international trade because they're scared of the language barriers of all the technical requirements that are, are needed. So we want to, to encourage them and foster them to actually be able to start trading with a neighboring country. As soon as they start uh, trading with a neighboring country, they will be in a stronger position to actually trade with a country that's two countries next to each other. And then eventually, once they have enough expertise about this, they will engage in international trade and we will be tapping into uh, a resource that we have no that we hadn't actually taken into consideration. Also, something that's interesting is that SMEs mainly are in the informal sector. But if they have, but if they want to engage in international trade, they have to go to the formal sector. So internal revenues will also increase. So we see that uh, the engage. We're also we're seeing that the engagement of inter of SMEs. In that the insertion of SMEs into global value chains is something that will have a lot of benefits and that's why it's a, this is a project that the Council of Ministers is extremely interested in. So um, these are the, um, the goods that Central America uh, has a revealed comparative advantage. And from, these, uh, uh, from this chart, I want you to look at something. It's very diverse. We're not focused on a single good. So we are less vulnerable to international shocks that might affect the consumption of any of these goods. And if you look, the biggest portion is our goods that are so tiny that we can actually have a fully diversified um, exporting basket that we actually want to bank on. And these are the goods that, we're taking into, that we are taking into consideration when we're mapping out the global value chains to make sure that these, where we have a revealed comparative advantage and where we know that they are actually leaving behind uh, value added, these are the ones that we're actively promoting that, so that they actually become engaged in international trade. Um, so human, the human face. Yes. How do you define reveal comparative advantage? Oh, um, I, I'm just curious. 
I can get back to you on that. That was the economic intelligence units that okay. worked on that. Okay, okay. But I, there, there's a paper actually that defines a methodology that, that was followed, but okay. that's not my area of expertise, okay. sorry. So again, the face of Central America, again, coming back to why it is that we're working on these topics. It's because we want to make sure that all Central Americans have uh, the ability to transform their lives within a generation. That if they're born poor, they don't have to, end, to, to die poor. And um, these are the initiatives, uh, these are some of the initiatives that we're actually working on. But we want to foster a virtuous cycle, something that helps local production capacity, then connects them to, in, to international trade and global value chains while actively reducing uh, the trades of costs, uh, the, the costs of trade. Raising the standards of living, uh, in order to work on this, we're working on trade facilitation uh, in route to the Central American Customs Union. We're, ac we're actually starting a new, a new joint program with the OECD, uh, the Peterson Institute, and the World Bank so that we can actually help and raise living standards. Again, value chains are very important, and the donor coordination within the region is extremely important, and this is an avant-garde initiative that we're working on, and it, it is basically sitting twice uh, every six months, all the donors present, and telling them, okay, this is how we're executing these projects. These are the funds that we're working on. This is what we're, that's, this is what we're lacking. Uh, we have seen that this is not working very well. So it's just basically a, a round table where constant communication is important. And this Aid for Trade program, uh, it's already finished and we're expecting to have it adopted uh, in the next meeting of the Council of Ministers, so hopefully next Monday actually in Tegucigalpa. And this establishes a framework of priorities that takes into consideration all of our needs within the region and maps it out and allows donors to actually be able to um, engage in in covering the areas that we're working on. And um, finally, I want to go back to migration. Right now, my uh, Central Americans are leaving the region because the opportunities that they're looking for are just not there. And while trade sometimes is seen as a, frivol as a frivolous initiative, we believe that trade and the economic integration of Central America can actually create these um, uh, opportunities that these people are looking for. And hopefully we will be able to actually reduce these appalling outflows of um, migrants and ensure that these people have a livelihood within their home country and their home region. So thank you very much. That's me. Thank you.